Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast, and as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Hello and welcome again to A Million Other Choices. As always, I am your host, Kim. doing today's case at all. One, because it's fairly well publicized here in Alberta anyways, and two, because it's one that just kind of sits with me when I think about it, and that can actually make it very challenging to dig into all of the details. But it's been back in the news again because of a Supreme Court decision here that consecutive life sentences are considered inhumane or some dumb thing, Um, and it's one that I think deserves to be told because it's quite senseless and very tragic. The case does involve an Amber Alert, and I find that those cases are, they're more personal for me because, you know, I follow them on the news and it starts to feel like I have a personal stake in the outcome. And I had a really bad feeling with this one when it happened, that it was going to have a very bad outcome, and it did. Uh, The details are very disturbing, and it's one that just kind of makes my heart feel very heavy to tell it. This is the murder of Hannah McKaytech and Terry Haley Blanchett. In the early fall of 2015, Hannah McKaytech was a 69-year-old, kindly senior living in the small Crow's Nest Pass town of Coleman. The Crow's Nest Pass is basically a highway and parallel railway that crosses the Rocky Mountains from Lethbridge, Alberta to the Co- to Kootenay Landing in British Columbia. It was built in 1867. Obviously, you can't go over the Rocky Mountains, so there are only a few ways through them, and the Crow's Nest Pass is the southernmost point of going through. On the way, you will pass by Coleman, Blairmore, and the site of the Frank Slide, where on April 29, 1904, a massive rock slide completely buried the mining town of Frank, now a popular tourist attraction and historical provincial site. Coleman got its name, obviously, from its coal mining roots and was incorporated in 1910 and currently has a population of about 1,400 people with a lot of residents living in mobile homes as opposed to fixed housing. But not the trailer type of mobile homes, but the pre-built prefab units. It's just a few kilometers west of Blairmore, and Blairmore is about 135 kilometers west of Lethbridge, with a population of a whopping 1,500 people. Anyways, back to Hannah. She was described by her neighbor as simple but lovely. A bit of a fixture in the area, known by most people 
to some degree. She sometimes spoke her mind, but was appreciated for it for the most part. Through an organization that helped secure employment for people with intellectual disabilities, she got a job at a local thrift store where she was well-liked and known by everyone pretty much in the town. She made daily visits to a restaurant called Chris's, and the manager there, Lisa Makowski, said that she came every day between 10.45 and 11, every single day, and would even call if she was going to be late. So you could say she was a regular for sure. She lived in a well-maintained mobile home, and one of her neighbors, Terence Megley, had been a good friend of hers for about 25 years, and his daughter and grandson lived directly next door, and his grandson, Derek, would often be over to mow her lawn or to help her with one odd thing or another. She was remembered as a kind-hearted woman who adored animals. Earlier in 2015, Hannah had inherited about $90,000 and had used some of it to buy a new washer and a dryer and TV set, but for the most part, it was well known that Hannah didn't trust banks, so she dealt almost exclusively in cash, as in under-the-mattress kind of cash. Over in Blairmore, Terry Blanchett, who was born on July 22, 1988, in Fernie, B.C., to his parents, Bill and Faith, was a talented young man who enjoyed snowboarding, cooking, playing video games, and watching sports, his favorite teams being the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, Terry grew up as a teen to have a few issues and had a few convictions for things like theft, assault, and failing to stop for the police. But in 2012, he met a young woman named... Cheyenne Dunbar, and when she learned that she was pregnant, he turned himself around, and when Haley was born on December 31st, 2012, another New Year's baby, he was ready to face the challenges and responsibility of parenthood head-on. He got a steady job as a cook at the Pure Country Bar and Grill in Frank. Cheyenne and Terry's romantic relationship didn't last, but they both co-parented in a fairly amicable way. Soon after she was born, Terry was awarded primary custody, and Haley stayed with Terry in Blairmore, visiting her mom every few weeks in Edmonton. Haley was born to the couple in Tabor, Alberta, and she had literally transformed Terry's life. Now, this is a little bit about Haley from her obituary. Haley never knew sorrow or hardship. She was the ray of sunshine in her parents' lives. Haley loved riding on the quads with her family, playing in the park, hugging every cuddly animal, and playing in the water. She embraced every child within reach to make a new friend. On the evening of September 8, 2015, a neighbor of Hannah's was walking his dog past her house. The dog was not on a leash, so was wandering as dogs do, up a lawn and then down to the street and then up the sidewalk and onto another lawn, just poking around and sniffing as dogs do. He made its way up to Hannah's front door, which was closed for the night at 8.45 p.m. Nothing out of the ordinary was heard or seen in the town of Coleman that evening. The next day, Lisa Makowski, the manager of Chris's restaurant, noticed that it was past 11 and she hadn't heard from Hannah yet for the day. A neighbor of Hannah's, Ray and his brother, were walking by her place, noticed that the front door to her mobile home was slightly ajar. So they kind of knock like, hey Hannah, you left your door open, everything okay kind of thing. They walk in a bit further and find Hannah 
bludgeoned to death on her bedroom floor with one of her two dogs she owned laying panting on her chest. The dog was unharmed, but guarding her master's lifeless body. She was wearing only her underwear and was laying in a pool of blood that had spread to about a meter wide underneath her body, telling investigators that she had been there for some time. There were numerous blood splatters on the walls, in the closet, and on the bedroom door, which were later counted up to 150 in all, and they figure some kind of object had been used. The two dogs and a cat had tracked through the blood, leaving reddish-brown paw prints throughout the carpeted areas. Dr. Jeffrey Gofton, who did the autopsy, confirmed that she had suffered a fractured skull on the left side, five blunt force impacts, three sharp force impacts, including an eight-and-a-half-centimeter-deep stab wound to her neck and cuts on either side of her forehead. He determined that the blunt force trauma had caused her death, and the stab wounds had occurred at or after the time of death. Investigators learned from Terence Megley, her friend and neighbor, that Hannah had inherited this this $90,000 from her mom's passing recently, and that she had also gone through a messy divorce, and her ex-husband had been angry and felt that the mobile home she had should have been his. So the investigation initially starts to go in that direction, having little else to go on at the time. Over in Blairmore, on September 13th, so four days after the discovery of Hannah, Bill Blanchett watched Haley at Terry's place, something that he did regularly while Terry was at work. The next day, around 11, he decided to stop by, it was 11 a.m., he decided to stop by on his way into Calgary, where he was going to get some work done on his car. And when he pulled up, he saw that Terry's car was there, so he figured, okay, he's home which would have, he would have expected because Bill knew that he had the day off. He knocked and he kind of opened the door, which was unlocked. Um, that part wasn't unusual, but he hadn't noticed that the door had actually been kicked or otherwise forced open. The wood by the deadbolt had been split. He stuck his head in the door and asked if anyone was home, but didn't get any response. Crickets. So he went back to his car and grabbed his cell phone and sent Terry a message to say that he's outside. Still no response. So he left then and went to fuel up and check his lottery tickets in Frank. It's a very Canadian thing to do. Um, Assuming that they were maybe still sleeping or maybe they just stepped out for a walk. He called him again for good measure, but that just went through to voicemail. So by this time, little alarm bells are starting to ring in his head. So once more before he heads out to Calgary, he figures... He's just going to come by one more time, only this time he actually went into the house. He saw a blanket on the ground that was sort of just trailing from inside the bathroom to just outside of the hall, so he figured he'd go and see why it was there. He turned on the bathroom light, and in that instant, his entire world changed. He grabbed Terry's cell phone from the floor of the bathroom and called 911 at 11.12 a.m., Terry was lying with his feet out of the door of the small bathroom. His head was between the toilet and the vanity with his t-shirt ripped and halfway up exposing his torso. He was partially covered in the blood-soaked blanket. He had been badly beaten about the head and his throat had been cut. Blood coated the wall by the door and there was blood smears tracking from Terry's bedroom to the main hall. 
the blood smears has indicated that he had been dragged or possibly crawled from the bedroom to the bathroom. Bill, in a complete state of shock and not fully comprehending that his son was dead, ran up the stairs while on the phone with 911, following another trail of bloody footprints up the stairs to two-year-old Haley's bedroom. Haley's bedroom was sparsely furnished but had been painted a pink-purple color that someone had taken the time lovingly to paint the drawers of her white dresser a matching color. The curtains were speckled with a daisy pattern, which had been supplemented with a hanging sheet to darken the room, were drawn, casting a pinkish glow over the room. Her fleece blankets were rumpled, indicating that she had slept there, and some favorite toys were strewn on the bed, including a doll dressed in a pink onesie with blood smeared on the top of her plastic head. There were more blood smears on the sheets and the vinyl floor tiles were speckled with blood appearing as if somebody was traipsing through it and walking in a back and forth motion. But Haley was nowhere to be found. If you remember that time period in Alberta, a heartbreaking Amber Alert was immediately issued at 2.15pm to try and locate Haley Dunbar Blanchett, hopefully alive and well. Now, the three-hour window between identifying that she wasn't home and the Amber Alert was just the time that it took to get a hold of Cheyenne and any other family members to find out if she was really missing or maybe she was with someone that she knew. Investigators start to canvass the neighbors and discover that surveillance footage, likely from a doorbell camera, captured a white van peeling away from the residence at around 3.30 a.m. This is established as as the time when Haley was likely abducted. The van was a newer model and somewhat unique as it had a large antenna from the rear of the truck with a flag attached to it. Larry Soretsky contacted the police that that day about one of the white vans used in his dry cleaning company fleet. He noticed that it had been moved from the night before when they think Haley was abducted. Larry had a 24-year-old son named Derek that worked for him and lived in an apartment that was attached to the business. He had had a terrible sinking feeling that morning when Derek told his dad that he wanted to talk to him because he was worried about something, and Larry could tell that whatever it was, was bad. Larry asked his son if he knew anything about Haley, and Derek had told him that she was in heaven. Larry tried to get more information out of him, but he said he was incoherent and talking gibberish. So Larry took him to the police, who were actually waiting nearby to talk to him because they had tracked him down as a person of interest. Larry walked his son to the officers and said, Derek wants to tell you something now. When RCMP investigators searched Derek's apartment, they, f- they found blood on a pair of cowboy boots, a latex glove, some rope, and on one of the walls. They also found three box cutters, a hatchet, a crowbar, a pickaxe, and a baseball bat all taken in for forensic testing. But most disturbing, they found a measuring cup with a substance consistent and later confirmed to be that of human blood. In his book collection, There was, of course, the usual serial killer and cold case books like any of us would read, but also a book on cannibalism, which was laying on the coffee table in the living room, but no evidence of Haley of her having been there. Derek was taken to the Blairmore RCMP detachment and questioned by Staff Sergeant Michael McCauley, hoping to get the whereabouts of Haley out of him. She needs to come home. Where is she, buddy? (laughs) 
he turn her to ashes. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay. Is it in the bush where you burnt her? Is that where she died? Yeah, it's in the bush. How did you kill her? I choked her. Okay. Okay. It's like he choked me. Yeah. <laughs> did she suffer? A little bit. A little bit? He told me to save myself from my own. He said I had to deep some soul friction. He said killing her would save you? So he said it's what he did. <laughs> How did you choke her? With the shoelace and his string. Where'd you get the shoelace? I don't know where I got it from. I just had it in one of the bags. Did you cut her before you choked her to death, or did you cut her after? I choked her first. So she was dead when you cut her? Job, so you should start to feel better. This should be healing for you. Did you... Should be. <laughs> Probably won't be. No, it Still will. won't get me where I want to be. It's a start, but it's the first day of the rest of your life. What did you cut of hers? What was that? What did I cut her with? What did you cut of hers? Like, you, like what part of her did you cut? It's just to understand. It's not legends. Tell me about Waste. it. You cut them off? I ate a little bit of her heart. You ate a bit of her heart? To try to strengthen mine. And how did that make you I feel? I drank a bit of her blood to try to you know, strengthen me. And how did that make you feel? A little bit stronger. Yeah. Well, maybe it gave you the strength to tell the truth today. It did make me strong. It did? For a bit. Just a little bit. <laughs>Hi, this is Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans, a show about interesting and quirky human behavior. We bring humor, empathy, and warmth to topics such as relationships, dating, work, self-compassion, weddings, phobias, aging parents, travel mishaps, death, and many more. Ever wonder what happens at a cuddle party? We talk about it. Free-range kids in restaurants? We've got some thoughts. Bedtime stories for adults? We're on it. Light, fun, unscripted conversation and personal stories. Please join us by clicking the link in the show notes. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The next day, September 16th, Derek takes Sergeant McCauley out to the campsite where he killed Haley and reenacts part of the crime for him. Is this a campsite or Jones or what is this? I don't know. I just seen the, the fire pit was there. Yeah, it's okay. So we'll get out. We'll talk about it. I'll get your door and stuff. Here. Okay. So what? Where did you take Haley? Um, over here. Whereabouts? You just show it. Like, just take me right there. No, uh, this was moved. This was moved? This was... Somehow. Where it was. You don't need to move it, but... Or right here. So you had Haley right here? Okay, so what did you do? There, yeah. What did you do first? I started stocking the fire pile with books. A bunch of books till I got the fire decently going and put some wood on it. Then I choked her over there. Where? Take over me? there. About you just take me to the spot? He's over here. Okay. It is my very sad duty. Uh, tonight to inform you that we have found the body of two-year-old Haley Dunbar Blanchett in a rural location near Blairmore, Alberta. Haley's family has been notified and we expend, extend our deepest condolences uh, to the family for their loss of Haley and also for the loss of her father, Terry. This is a sad day for the investigators, the citizens of Blairmore, and all the Canadians who hoped Haley would be found and returned unharmed. The Amber Alert issued yesterday in relation to Haley's disappearance is no longer in effect. She was smart, beautiful, the greatest child ever. She never cried. She never, she was perfect. Absolutely perfect. I don't know why anybody would do that to her. I don't know why. That's enough. He is subsequently arrested and charged with first-degree murder of both Terry and Haley. And I remember when the Amber Alert was called off and they announced that they had found her remains. It was completely heartbreaking. Now, it was by pure coincidence that the officer that was in charge of the McKaytech or Hannah's investigation went out to the scene of Terry's murder and Haley's disappearance and happened to notice a few similarities between the two killings making them wonder if maybe the two cases were somehow connected. A very thankful coincidence because it turned out they were connected. Now, things in the investigation were delayed a bit on September 24th when Derek tried to hang himself while in the showers in prison and was taken to hospital and put on life support in a medically induced coma. Terry's sister, Amanda, told reporters that she hoped that he makes a full recovery because, quote, we don't want him dead, we want answers. And a full recovery he did make. So in November of 2015, after being found fit to stand trial, 
Derek Soretsky was originally charged with two counts of murder and causing indignity to a human body. Then, on March 2, 2016, Sergeant McCulley traveled out to the Calgary Remand Center and interviewed Derek about Hannah's death, and he confessed. The charge of a third count of first-degree murder was added April 20, 2016, and on May 7, 2017, almost two years after the three deaths, he entered a not-guilty plea. The trial began on June 7, 2015. During the trial, the jury heard the full contents of three interviews with Derek and his reenactment. Many a non-scheduled break was given to the jury, as the details they heard and the photos that they were shown were enough to disturb even the most hardened soul. So I will give you a somewhat cleaned-up version of what they saw and heard. Derek lived next door to Hannah, so that's the connection there. But the connection to Terry is a bit more muddled. Derek claims to have had a romantic and sexual relationship at some point with Cheyenne, but she says she hadn't seen him in like three years and she barely knew him. Some reports say Terry worked for a bit at the dry cleaners that Derek's family owned, but other reports say that they also barely knew each other. So motive is not a requirement to prove at trial, so a lot of times the answer to the why question never gets answered. And this is one of those cases, really. One of the things investigators found in Derek's apartment was a notepad with the words medicine and fresh randomly written at the top of the small coiled page. But under that is like a list. Hannah, sleepers for the dogs, Shy, which is Cheyenne's nickname by friends and family, Terry, and the hideous baby. And all the names are crossed out, like you would do when you complete something on your to-do list. Then there's drawn a horizontal line, and under that is some church times in the days of the week with an hour indication next to it. Sunday, 10 a.m., Saturday, 5 p.m., etc. Late in the evening on the 8th of September, 2015, Derek busted through Hannah's front door and attacked her by beating her with a baseball bat and stabbing her in the throat. In his videotaped interview, Sergeant McCulley asked if he had done it as practice because he knew what he wanted to do to Terry and the baby, and he said, yeah, I guess so. I couldn't find anything about the $90,000 that was supposedly hidden in Hannah's house, but robbery doesn't appear to be a motive for him. He says he chose her because, quote, I didn't think anybody cared about her, end quote. Six days later, The six-day break between the must-be-a-thing-with-murderers. Dustin waited six days between his killings as well. Serial killers in the making or something. Anyways, he broke into Terry's place and beat him with a crowbar and slit his throat to drain his blood and then grabbed Haley, putting a pillow over her face to muffle her screams and cries. He then took her out to the campsite that was apparently owned by someone in his family started a fire in the fire pit with some books and scraps of wood, and then strangled little Haley. He then dismembered her body and drank some of her blood. He threw her remains on the fire and says that he said a prayer, quote, may God rest your soul something, I don't know exactly what it was, but something along those lines, end quote. He then tossed some of his clothes, his boots, and a knife on top of her remains in the fire and then drove back to Blairmore where he had a shower and smoked some pot 
as one does after dismembering and drinking the blood of a sweet little peanut that never did a darn thing to anyone, Derek had the nerve to say, quote, I was traumatized. I really didn't know what just happened, end quote. Derek revealed that he had ran into Terry about a month before and, quote, he gave me a really dirty look. He claims that Terry had attacked him with a baseball bat a few years earlier. He told Sergeant McCulley that he had feelings for Cheyenne and that he had heard Terry used to beat her, which made him angry. I don't know that that was ever proven. Cheyenne never made those accusations against Terry. McCulley asked him, so it was payback at least, to which he replied, yeah, I guess. McCulley also asked, quote, do you think Cheyenne will be more happy that... Blanchett's gone, or more sad that Haley's gone. And he responded, probably sad, sad for quite a while. Sad for quite a while doesn't quite cover it. Terry's sister Amanda, Cheyenne, and Carrie Morrissey, a close friend of Hannah's, all had their say in victim impact statements. Amanda said in part, the horror she endured before she died will haunt me for the rest of my life. I carry a sadness so deep in my heart that sometimes it physically hurts. He stole an innocent baby. Haley's mother, Cheyenne Dunbar, said, She was my world and my everything to me. They say time heals all wounds. I'm here to tell you it doesn't. And Carrie Morrissey said of Hannah, quote, You have destroyed everything we knew and felt safe with. You are an animal, an indescribable beast. On June 28, 2017, Darius Soretsky was found guilty on all three counts of murder and the indignity to a human body charge and sentenced to three consecutive life sentences with parole eligibility after 75 years, ensuring that he would die within prison walls. And that was all well and good, even though Yet he appealed that sentencing in 2021, and the Alberta Court of Appeal said that they would hear that case, but they delayed it due to waiting for the outcome of the Alexandre Bissonnette case. Bissonnette killed six people at a Quebec City mosque in 2017 and was sentenced to life without parole for 40 years, but it was later changed on appeal to 25 years when the Quebec Court of Appeal ruled that the cumulative sentencing provision is unconstitutional. From what I understand, Derek was actually seeking an acquittal in Hannah's murder for some stupid reason that I won't get into because it wasn't successful anyways. Now, as many of you know and have maybe been waiting for me to comment on, on May 29th, 2022, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that consecutive periods of parole ineligibility were unconstitutional and, quote, cruel and unusual punishment. So we all know how this is going to go now. All of the cases, including Dustin's, that I've talked about where the murderer received more than 25 years of parole ineligibility will now, regardless of their age of when they went into prison, be able to seek parole after serving only 25 years. So in other words, when looking at this case, Hannah's life gets a life sentence, and Terry and Haley were essentially freebies. And now I understand that chances are 25 years will come and go, and Derek will not get out but I'm leery and skeptical of the whole just because he's eligible doesn't mean he'll get it. Murderers are master manipulators and often able to pull the wool over people's eyes. Now, I'm really not really ready to talk about it in more detail yet, but for me, it's not the parole thing. It's how it looks on paper. 
that Taylor's life wasn't worth 25 years. Almost a year for a year of her life. It basically tells us all that a criminal's life is more important than ours. What Dustin did to us was cruel and unusual. So to say that it just makes my blood boil, to say those words to our faces is disgusting to me. What it all comes down to is control. Someone with no hope of getting out of prison tends to act out in prison. So just say it like it is. Don't give us a bunch of crap about what's considered cruel. Just tell the truth. You don't have the resources or want to control unruly prisoners. It's too much trouble, so make sure that they have hope so they behave. It's completely ridiculous. I just hate it when someone tries to feed me dog shit and tell me it's chocolate mousse. That's all I'm saying. Anyways, now that I'm all riled up, that was the murder of Hannah McKaypeck and Terry and Hannah Blanchett. There is just so much in this case that I hate. It's, it's just a really tough case to hear, let alone what the Blanchettes and McKaytecks have had to endure. I, I feel like I need a shower or something to wash this one off. I will, however, be back next week with another case. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.